welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Epiphany Fellowship. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm excited. Uh, for the word of God this morning. I I know we just got an opportunity to worship. Uh, I pray that you've been worshiping joyfully with us this morning. And and now we get to worship uh, through the word. Before we jump in, though, I I just want to say happy Black History Month. Uh, Obviously, it's a it's a uh, black history is a a unique and important uh, time for not not just uh, those who of us who identify as uh, black or African-American. But it is a significant moment for us to be able to zoom lens into our culture and our history that extends far uh, back uh, before uh, slave slavery and the transatlantic slave trade. And so uh, I am celebrating with you this month as we uh, as as we dive in and celebrate uh, our culture and the expression of it, especially the the black expression of Christianity. And so uh, why don't you join me this morning by opening your Bibles to Isaiah Uh, The 56th chapter, Isaiah chapter 56. I'm excited for us this morning. Isaiah chapter uh, 56. We're going to be we're going to be peering in specifically to verses one through eight. Um, And so if you have it, if you've got your device, um, if not, then you'll you'll see it up on the screen. Why don't you read along uh, with me? This is the word of of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Preserve justice and do what is right. For my salvation is coming and my righteousness will be revealed. Happy is the person who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, The Lord will exclude me from his people and the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree for the Lord says this for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant. I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. And as for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the declaration of the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather to them still others besides those who are already gathered. If I could just take a little time this morning, I just want to preach from the topic. Is there room in his house? Is there room in his house? Our Father and our God, we're so grateful and thankful that we get the privilege, the opportunity to come and open your word. That here in your holy sacred text, we find the truth of life. 
It's here in this sacred text that we find you and your presence and your heart and your plan of redemption. So, God, I, I love the opportunities that we have to slow down and to take a deeper look at your word, to see its revealed promises for us and for future generations. And so, God, as we dive into your word today, I pray that you would help this word to impact our thinking Help this word to impact our hearts and our minds so that it changes and deepens the way that we relate to you, the way we worship you, the way we walk with you. God, that's our prayer today, collectively as your people. It's a prayer that we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Is there room in his house? You know, one of the common ground experiences that almost everybody, for some reason or another, has had to deal with is the experience of being left out. You remember, don't you? The kid that's always picked the last for sports. And, 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 and that's because that there are parameters for why that kid doesn't get picked. There's a, set, uh, there's a standard for why that kid gets chosen at the very end of the line. He's not tall enough or she's not fast enough or they can't jump high enough or can't throw far enough. We, 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 we like excluding people for things outside of their control. Did you know that you can be born into the wrong family? Born poor or with limited education? You could be born a person of color or a woman. Things that society has used against you to determine why you weren't welcomed among them. You know, one of the more interesting things about society is despite our need for community, despite our need for one anothering, we have mastered the art of excluding people. But you can't help where you were born or who you were born to, you can't control what physical giftings or limitations you were born with. And, 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 and for some reason, if you're reading the Bible, but not reading carefully, it seems like the biblical story confirms this notion of exclusion. At this point in God's redemptive narrative, again, if you're not reading carefully, it looks as if the vast majority of us have been left out. We've been excluded. The, 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 the Apostle Paul says as much when he pens his letter to the church at Ephesus, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, at that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Uh, like, like, no, notice that within the span of one verse that Paul uses the word without, excluded, foreigner, without and without, all in the span of one verse. And he's, he's talking about you and me. But, but you, you know what the funny thing is? is the, the funny thing is that we deserve to be left out. I mean, just, just if you got a nearby, uh, close by, just go look at yourself. I mean, really look at yourself. You're trifling. I'm trifling. We deserve to be left out. Like when, when, we, when we really look at ourselves and assess who we are, 
What, what can we offer God that would make us worth being included? But, but you, you know, there, there's, it, there, that's the funny thing about Scripture, that Paul can write that in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, and, and it seems like that's a dire circumstance. There's nowhere left to go or turn. There's no hope, as he says, in the world without God. And, and yet in verse 13, 13, the very next words, he says, but God. That, 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 there's, that, that's the beautiful thing about the redemptive story of God is that even when it seems like humanity is at its worst, when it seems like we have no hope left in the world, there's always a but God in the story. And here in Isaiah chapter 56, God through the prophet Isaiah is reminding us, letting us know that the true people of God includes everyone and anyone who holds fast to his covenant regardless of their outward apparent disqualifications. That, that ought to be good news to somebody. That, 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 that there is nothing that we can offer to God that he needs, and yet for some strange reason, there are still things that he requires of us. Brings me to my, my first of three points this morning, and, uh, and, and I'll, I'll say what most black preachers say, and then I'm out your way. Uh, but, but, but point number one is, is this, exclusion into God's covenant people requires conformity to a standard. It's, 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 it's here uh, in, 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 uh, in this book of Isaiah where we have to understand that Isaiah is addressing Israel as a nation. He's, he's, he's addressing God's chosen people, the covenant people of God. If you are not ethnically Israel, then, then you have to understand that you are but me, a, a, a passive listener to the conversation. That, that what's being said in this text is not directed to us, but is talking about us. And in, and in verse 1, what we have is, is basically Isaiah, God through Isaiah, summarizing what has been said up until now from chapters 1 through 55. Namely, that righteousness and justice, uh, the, the righteousness and justice that Israel was supposed to have up until this point, they've been incapable of fulfilling on their own. That's chapters 1 through 39. Chapters 40 through 55, uh, God begins to reveal that there's a coming salvation and a righteousness that would be revealed through the work of the servant, the, the chosen one, the, the Messiah. We, we see in chapters 53 and, and 42 and 49 that he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. And, and, and so, so here we have the summary of, of what has transpired in, in the book. And when you get to verse 1, it's, it's almost like a, a, a dash of cold water to the Israelite because they, they have been, they have been uh, uh, ex exalting their own pride and their own dignity and self-worth as they get closer and closer to chapter 56 because chapter 54 and chapter 5 talk about how God's going to restore uh, Israel and, and how there's a future glory in store for Israel as he brings comprehensive shalom to the world. And then you get to verse 1 of chapter 56 and it seems like I should, I, 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 like it seems like if you were Israel, it would be easy to believe that what God was communicating was that, that, that God's grace carried no obligations with it. And yet that couldn't be further from the truth. That, that the grace of God didn't require anything from you. Now, let, let me make a point here. There, there's nothing that you can do to earn grace, 
But when grace is given, it does require something of you. Look, look, look what it says in, in verse one of the 56th chapter of Isaiah. It says, this is what the Lord says. Preserve justice and do what is right for my salvation is coming soon and my righteousness will be revealed. See, see, uh, Isaiah is saying that justice and righteousness are to be done because God's salvation is at hand, which which basically means that obedience is to be lived out as a response to salvation, not for salvation. Isaiah is not inviting people to seek salvation through their own righteousness, through their own righteous works. What he's doing is he's he's calling God's people to live the life that the Lord has revealed as objectively right by his standards. I, I, let, let me pause there. Objectively right. The life living a life objectively right by whose standards, by your standards, by my standards, by by God's standards. You, 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 know, you know what that means for us? That, that means that, that you don't get to determine what is the right way to live. Now, I, I know that seems really simple. And, and, and I know you're probably shaking your head at the TV screen right now like, yep, Pastor Kurt, amen, I, I know that, I'm, I'm with you. But, 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 but let's be honest, there are too many times in your life where you operate and make decisions not based on what God desires, but what you desire. Too many of us as Christians live for the world's approval more than we live for God. Because you, you, you know what the problem is at its core? You got, you, you got to understand, Christian, that you can't think just because you feel good about what you're doing that, that God is pleased with it. I, listen, listen, I said it. Some of us operate in this world that says, as long as I feel good and comfortable about my decisions, as long as the world cheers me on and doesn't call me out for it, then I should be able to live any old type of way that I want. Forget what the Bible says. Forget what those hypocritical Christians who are trying to jam me up say. As long as I feel good about what I'm doing, I'm all right. But the danger is is that we get so saturated trying to be popular in the world, trying to be cool Christians. We get so saturated by the world that we end up thinking like the world does and calling good evil and evil good. But he says, he says, for, he says my people, they're, they're, they're supposed to preserve justice and do what is, what is, what is right. And, and, and then... He, he goes on and, and he, he begins to lay out for us what preserving justice, what the preservation of justice and what doing what is right actually looks like. That it expresses itself in two behaviors. He, he says, he says in, in verse two that the person that does this, the, the happy person or the, the blessed person that does this, does it by keeping the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeping his hands from evil. Huh. Keeping the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeping his hands for evil. Let, let, let's let, let's start here. Let's let's start with this idea of the Sabbath. 
right? The, the Sabbath was a, a covenant sign that represented a lifestyle of devotion to the Lord because it required, it required the practical reorganization of every week around him. It, it, practicing and observing the Sabbath, it, it took conscious awareness because you had to actively center your life around God. It, it means that the that true observance of the Sabbath involves not just refraining from work on that day. Remember, God says to, 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 to observe that day and, and rest and not do any work. Uh, but it's not just about refraining from work, but also refraining from doing evil. Because the, the, the truth is, if if you are really concerned about avoiding evil, then you know that God is not satisfied by mere adherence to religious activity. What, 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 do, what do I mean by that? It, it means that the avoidance of evil expression of worship and true worship comes from a life of hatred for all that God hates and a life of loving all that God loves. And, 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 and when, you, when you seek to keep your hands from evil, it's not just a practicing Sabbath, the type of practicing Sabbath that makes Sabbath keeping a formality, that, that just does it because it's on the schedule. It says, no, no, I've, I have so centered my life around the purposes and the person of God that, that I have to now schedule everything else around this beautiful truth so that as I observe, I am being mindful of how I am living in light of who God has called me to be. One of the things we have to realize that, that the Sabbath was a big deal because to neglect the Sabbath was to dismiss the centrality of God in one's life as both creator Right. Because God made everything and, and he rested and he tells us to rest and savior because he told him to observe the Sabbath as a response to him redeeming them out of Egypt. For God brought you out of Egypt. And, and, and so to neglect the Sabbath says that that I don't care about living in the reality that God has created everything and God rested and wants me to rest. I don't care that God is a God who redeems and has brought me from a mighty long way. It, it says that I, I'm more concerned about what I have to do than centering my life around the things of God. But God took Sabbath so seriously because Sabbath, Sabbath, was, a, Sabbath was a heart issue because it took effort to make yourself aware of the presence and the reality of living with God as central in your life. But, but God took Sabbath so, so, so seriously and he wanted his people to take it so seriously that violating it was a capital offense. If you worked on the Sabbath, that the, the offense was death. Be, because to, to violate the Sabbath meant that you could care less about centering your life on God and you were more about developing your own kingdom, your own state of self-sufficiency. So God, was, God, God calls his people to commit themselves to a life of obedience and worship as a part of his covenant community. He said, this, this, is, 
This is what my people are known by. My, my people are known for their obedience to my word and to their, their devotion and worship of me as their one true God. That's, that's what marks the life of my people. So, so God's calling his people in these first two verses to, to a commitment of a life centered on him through obedience and worship. And so, so, so while inclusion into God's covenant people requires conformity, conformity to a standard, guess what? Inclusion into God's people, covenant people, doesn't require ethnic ancestry. I, 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 that, 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 that's, that's one of the things that we got to hammer home here is that while, while being considered a part of God's people requires that your life change, it doesn't require that your origins start from a certain person's line, right? You, you, you don't have to, like, like no, no matter who you are or where you come from, guess what? When it comes to our relationship with God, we, we all on the same field playing on level ground. But, but, but notice what he says. He says he, he, he's making this argument because he's saying that, that doing justice and righteousness, th that is, not, not ethnicity, which we'll get to in a second, but, but doing justice and righteousness, that is the fundamental criterion for being among the servants of the Lord. Justice and, and righteousness. Not, 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 but listen, not as a means to gain salvation, right? You, you, you preserving justice and doing, and doing righteousness doesn't gain you salvation, but guess what? As a response to it. It says, it says, says like, now that you're saved, now that you know and believe in the promises that God's salvation is coming and his righteousness is going to be revealed, you live a life in response to that of justice and righteousness, so, so, much, so much is this the case that the very people, I, I, I love this as we get into verse three. I love this as we get into verse three, that, that the very people who have been excluded from covenant fellowship. Now, when we talk about been excluded, when we talk about the nations, when we talk about the Gentiles, guess what? That's, that's, it's me and you. I'm, I'm talking about me. I, I'm talking about you. Like, un, unless you can point your ethnic origins to the line of Jacob, then you want you just like me. An outsider. Right. But 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 listen, it says it says that that because of God's criteria for being among the servants of God, those who have been excluded can now be brought near, not because they have to gain some sort of ethnic uh, 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 superiority, not not because they're pro black and proud of it. Not because they are racist, not, not, not because somebody has told them that they are superior, but because they do righteousness and justice. That, that's what defines them and, and gives them opportunity to enter into God's kingdom household. This is, this is what Peter, the right, the right hand of Jesus, even himself, came to understand. In Acts chapter 10, he says, now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who who what who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. But I love this because because God, 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 
through, through the mouthpiece, through his mouthpiece, Isaiah, he, he begins to get real specific and, and he, he names uh, a certain group of people that are representative of the whole. In verse three, he says, but no foreigner has joined himself to the Lord should say that the Lord will exclude me from his people, nor should the eunuch say, look, I am a dried up tree. So it's interesting, we have this group here, these two groups, the, the foreigners and, and the eunuchs, and, and, and verse three starts off by communicating what their primary concern is, right? The, the, the foreigner is concerned with being accepted into God's kingdom and being invited into his people. And the eunuch is, is concerned with having nothing to show for his life, despite his relationship, supposedly to God. But but the question when we come to verses like this is, is how do we reconcile what is outlined here between verses four and, and verse seven with what is said over in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses one through eight? Because if you skip over to Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says that neither eunuchs nor Ammonites nor Moabites are to have any place in God's congregation. And so the question we got to ask is, what, what, what was the point of this law? What was the point of this exclusion? Was it something intrinsically evil about these groups of people? Well, well, well after a little study, we find out that, that the eunuch in, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, this, this prohibition is probably not intended to bar from the community those whose state of mas emasculation has been brought on by accident or by illness. Rather, it's most likely for the person who has self-castrated themselves, who carry on their bodies the sign of their recognition to another God as a form of worship. It says they, they shall not enter the congregation. And, and the foreigner points to, uh, 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 makes a point about historical responsibility, right? Because actions have consequences. The Ammonites, they, the Bible says that, that they weren't allowed in because of their lack of hospitality towards the Israelites as they left Egypt. And, and the Moabites, because they attempted to curse Israel through the prophet Balaam, and then it got flipped up on their head. But, it's, but here it has in mind the fact that historically actions have consequences, especially when those actions are in opposition to God's plan of salvation and bringing his plan of salvation to the world. And so even, even though in Deuteronomy chapter 23, we see these prohibitions of, of these certain groups of people who, who are not allowed into the kingdom of God, it's interesting though that we see elsewhere in scripture the exact opposite. Prior to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says as the people left Egypt, guess what? They left as a mixed multitude. Meaning that there were other people among that group of people who exiled, who, who left the exodus with the Israelites, that there were other people among them. And guess what? God allowed them to participate in observing the, the Passover. Or what about Joshua chapter 2 when there's this lady named Rahab who lives in the wall and helps the spies escape from Jericho? Or Ruth chapter 2, this Moabite woman who finds refuge under the wings of God. Listen, Isaiah chapter 56, three, uh, uh, verse 3, Isaiah doesn't have in mind those of Deuteronomy chapter 23. He doesn't have in mind here the pagans who are either open in their unbelief or masquerading as believers and whose effect, if not intent, is to undermine the distinctive revelation of God that has been committed to the Jews. 
That, that's not who Isaiah is talking about. He, he's not talking about the pagan who doesn't believe God and never will, who, who holds fast to his worship of, a, of another God. He's not talking about the pagan who is masquerading as a believer just to insert himself into the community to be devices. That's not who Isaiah has in mind. He has in mind people like Rahab and Ruth who have abandoned their false gods and wholeheartedly joined themselves to the God of Israel. You know what this says? This, 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 is, this is beautiful. This, it says that no, no matter who a person is, when it comes to being included into the people of God, if they have abandoned their idolatry and wholeheartedly joined themselves to the Savior, it doesn't matter ethnically who they are doesn't matter what nation or what tribe they belong to. Foreigners who come to him in glad obedience will be included and Jews who want to depend on their birthright will be excluded. Foreigners who persist in their arrogant contempt for Israel will be excluded and Jews who submit themselves to the spirit of God will be included because the issue at stake here is not parentage but obedience. It's not ethnicity, but holding fast to the covenants of God. And so the response here in verse three is that that neither the foreigner nor the eunuch have to fear God's rejection. Right. And then he goes on. He says from 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 God's perspective, it, 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 it doesn't matter that the eunuch can't engender children. It doesn't matter that that physically he's unable to 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 produce for himself a genealogy and a line and a lineage. Uh, but what matters is that the eunuch keeps my Sabbaths, which I delight in and the whole fast to my covenants. This is what God says matters, that that that, that the eunuch, that the eunuch love what he loves and hates what he hates and wants what he wants and, and, and that they do not keep the Sabbaths because they must or they will be destroyed. They keep them because they are the Lord's Sabbaths. He's 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 saying it, it doesn't matter that you can't produce a seed. If you're willing to be committed to me in worship, committed to me in obedience, he says, he says, uh, what what I want from you is a behavior that expresses a relationship with me that 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 if anybody will 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 commit themselves uh, to what I love to keep my Sabbath and hold fast to my the, to my covenants that anybody that does this that that the physical limitations of their body will have nothing to do with their acceptability you know one of the the issues for the eunuch is is that they might they might fear this fear that they might be forgotten since they can't have sons or, or daughters and carry on their lives and names after them. And, and look, look what God does to the person who can't produce his own seed, who can't extend his own earthly name. Uh, he, he says, yeah, but if you if you keep my ways, if you love what I love and hate what I hate, if you keep my Sabbaths, if you commit yourself wholly to me, guess what? He says, I'm going to give you an, an eternal name that will not be cut off. In other words, God promises the eunuch something far greater than an earthly lineage. He promises him an 
everlasting name that is a product of his faith. He says, yeah, yeah, you might not be able to have no physical kids, but guess what? I'm going to give you an everlasting name that doesn't end. That can never be cut off. See, even you in your earthly state couldn't guarantee that. If all, if all your parts were working, you couldn't guarantee that your name would never be cut off. But I am going to do it for you because of your faithfulness. And, 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 and I, I love what, what happens here in these verses because we see clearly Right. That 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 the expectation, the the requirements for the foreigner and for the for the eunuch is the same for Israel. To do justice and righteousness, there, there's not a complete different set of standards for what it looks like for entrance into the kingdom of God. Both require faith, obedience and justice and righteousness. He says to the foreigner, in verse six, he says, he says, as for the foreigner who joins himself to the Lord, he must do these things. What, is he, what does he say? He says, for the foreigner who joins himself to the Lord to minister to him, to love his name, to become his servants. You know, one, one of the most immediate observations that you can make concerning this list is that none of them speak of joining oneself to the Lord for the benefits of that relationship. The, the joining it's out of a desire to benefit the Lord, not yourself. Whew. He says, he says the, the foreigner that wants to minister to the Lord, that loves the name of the Lord, that, that wants to become his servants. He's, he said, this, this, that, that's what it looks like. That's the blessing of, 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 of life with God. He says, I, I'm not coming to God uh, uh, just so I can see what I can get from him. He says, he says, I'm, I'm coming to God because he's good and he's holy and he's righteous. And I, I, I just want to be in relationship with him so I can be a part of what it looks like to serve him and, and be about his mission in the world. But there are benefits to being in relationship with God. There are. It's true. What are the benefits that God offers to these foreigners? Well, look, 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 look what he says in verse seven. Starts off, he says, I will bring them to my holy mountain. And I will let them rejoice in my house of prayer. God, God brings them personally into the place where he dwells. And they are treated just like any believing Israelite. Look, look at this. He says that. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, meaning they will have the, the, the full privileges of having their sins atoned for. That his house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, that, that, that the foreigner will have instant access to God in prayer. Now, the, the, the crazy thing about this is that, that there is evidence widespread throughout the Old Testament of, of, of what God does to make room for the once excluded people, for, for the non-Jewish, the non-Israelite nations. And, and it's seen even in Solomon, even Solomon prayed in 1 Kings chapter 8, uh, after the dedication of the temple, he says, even for the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name, strong hand and outstretched arm, and will come and pray towards this temple. Listen to this. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place 
and do according to all the foreigner asks. Then all the peoples of earth will know your name to fear you as your people Israel do and to know that this temple I have built bears your name. And even even God in Malachi chapter one says that my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations. And so, so what Isaiah is communicating here, this is not a new idea. This is, this is not some strange new idea about God grafting in another group of people, about God taking a, 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 a foreigner and a, and a eunuch, those who would be outcast from the, the covenant people of God and bringing them in and making them one. This is not a new idea. God promises the foreigner inclusion and, and full rights into his worship community. And the house that the the eunuch and the, the foreigner have been welcomed into has, has always held God's vision of a place of worship for every nation, not just ethnic Israel. And, and that started way back with the patriarchs. The first one, Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he said that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through you. These words are a concrete expression of the limitless grace of God for all who seek him in sincerity, which is indicated by turning from wicked ways and thoughts to the ways and thoughts of God. It is these who will find themselves, though it's that type of person, the person who's willing to die to themselves and, and take on for themselves God's ways and thoughts and his salvation, it's, it's that person that will find themselves included no matter who they are, right? And God's inclusion into God's covenant people, it doesn't, it, 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 it requires conformity to a standard, but doesn't require ethnic ancestry, but inclusion into God's covenant people, guess what? It's accomplished by God himself. As, as much as we wanna work to try to earn God's favor. As much as we want to try to build a resume for why we should be included, the accomplished work is done by God. The work of actually bringing us in and making us something that we weren't is done by God. Look at, look at verse eight, it says, this is the declaration of the Lord who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I, this is the Lord speaking, I will gather them, I will gather to them still others besides those already gathered. God will not be finished with his gathering of Israel's outcasts after the return from the exile. Remember, because this is from a from a contextual standpoint, a lot of this uh, redemptive talk, a lot of this future glory talk, uh, uh, a lot of it has some immediate impact because it's talking about the fact that they they will go into exile, but God is going to redeem them back. But it's not just talking about redemption from the exile. It's talking about a, a future glory. Well, on that great day, God will establish and fully uh, institute his kingdom and his covenant people will experience comprehensive shalom. But God, he is not finished gathering his people. It says that this is the same God who, who made humanity 
who, who goes about redeeming humanity and intends to gather as much of humanity to himself as possible. That's, that's what Peter says in, in, in 2, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He said, the Lord doesn't delay his promise. And if he, if he delays, as some of, him, some of us understand, it's, it's so that some would not perish. That, 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 that God's delay in his return is so that he can continue gathering those to his name that belong to him. All of those who love him and love his name and hold fast to his covenant, who keep his Sabbaths and become his servants, will be those among, among those that he gathers. This is, this is the beautiful picture that we have from, from verses 1 through verses 8. It's a picture of God talking to uh, the covenant people, Israel, and, and, and still talking about the fact that there is a group of people beyond my covenant people, the people who have not had my law, the people that I did not redeem out of Egypt, the people who do not have a promised land. He says, even those people I'm going to bring in and, and they're going to have an opportunity to worship me and serve me and be considered a part of my heavenly family. He says, that's, that's, that's what's happening here. That the house, of, the house of God, the household of God was not just meant for Israel, but it was meant for all of those who hold fast to his covenants and keep his Sabbaths and love his name. It's for everyone. I'm closing. came crashing down on the night of November 9th, 1989. For nearly 30 years, it stood as a, a symbol of the Cold War, a barrier that, that hided, highlighted not only the ideological differences of East and West Germany, but also a barrier between communism and freedom, between poverty and opportunity, and, and on that faithful night, as sledgehammers leveled the wall brick by brick, it would be easy to see how one could feel they were being introduced to a, a whole new world. For far too long, the wall stood as a reminder that you were trapped. And to attempt an escape meant to acquiesce to the possibility of certain death. Sometimes... We have to understand that sometimes a wall is more than just a wall. I wish somebody would hear me today. But now that the wall has been torn down, there are new possibilities. There is a new reality that had not been possible before. No, no, I'm not talking about the Berlin Wall anymore. I'm talking about that wall of hostility that was torn down when Jesus died on the old rugged cross and then got up from the grave. That dividing wall that excluded you and excluded me from citizenship and made us foreigners to the promises of his covenants. But thanks be to God that Jesus put together that hostility on the cross. And now Paul, that, that, that missionary to the Gentiles, writes that we, we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. So let me answer my own question for you. Is there room in his house? Well, for everyone who preserves justice and does what is right, who holds fast to his covenants and chooses what pleases the Lord, the answer is a resounding yes. There is room for you in his house. 
because that dividing wall has been torn down. My soul echoes what the psalmist says that I, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And because of the sufficient work of Jesus Christ, I get to come into his house no longer as a foreigner, but as family. That's the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross, that those who were once far off now get to be brought near. So, yes, there's room in his house. Why don't you join me as we prepare for communion and we think about and reflect on the beauty of that dark night where the nails pierced him in the hands and pierced his feet and he was crucified for you and for me. Prior to that night, Jesus, while he was in the upper room with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it and he said that this is my body which has been broken for you. As often as you come together and do it, do it in remembrance of me. Afterwards, he took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood, blood of the new covenant. And I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it with you again in my kingdom. Let's drink together. Why don't you pray with me? Our Father and our God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace that captures the lost, that calls back the straggler. God, that, that brings the foreigner home and makes him family, that gives the eunuch an everlasting name. What, could, what do we say to these things? But thank you, oh God. What can we say but thank you, oh God? We're grateful, oh Lord, for many of us were indeed those who were considered outsiders and foreigners, strangers to the covenants of promise. And yet now we have been made one in his flesh of the same spirit and of the same mind. And we are grateful today, oh God, that we get to stand in your presence, that we get to stand in your house and worship you. And we look forward to the day, oh God, where we will stand before you face to face and worship you forevermore. Until that day, oh God, I pray that you would help your people by your spirit to preserve justice and to do what is right as we walk with you in utter confidence. God, we pray in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Epiphany family. We are excited that you had the opportunity to join us. We look forward to gathering with you again next week. Grace and peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.